Happy Tag Tuesday. Hello. I'm Ann Police. And I'm Denise Cooper. You're listening to Two Average Girls. We're glad you were with us today. I am so glad we're here. <laughs> the options are what? I don't, well, there's many options. I mean, <laughs> not that I don't want to spend it with you, obviously. I've, I'm just I'm saying hurt. that there is other things I could be doing, but I'm but glad I'm not. But there's nothing you want to be doing. No, there's nothing I want to be doing. And again, it's still raining for forever. It's been raining forever, which is fine, but it's kind of gloomy. So I like being here and just kind of cozying up in the pod room mm -hmm. with our guest and That's just right. being here. You know, um, we've had a couple different guests on lately, and I think Dr. Alex probably was on a couple weeks ago yes. before this. Mm -hmm. And every time we have a guest on that talks about self-care yes. and like eating right and doing the right things like that, it always makes me feel a little guilty. I mean, I didn't bring my Diet Coke out when she was here. Not on purpose, but kind of. Because I didn't want to be judged. Uh-huh. You left that mm -hmm. for me? Yeah. my you, tall boy yeah, of Dr. Pepper? Yeah. We, I don't care about you. Thank you. You, you, you don't judge me. So anyway, <laughs> I went to get a big do tall Diet Coke today at yeah. the Circle K. And? And I was feeling guilty. And I was like, you know, Dr. Alex wouldn't want me drinking a 44 ounce of Diet Coke. But okay. And then the lady in front of me, she's like, I'm going to have an extra large uh, drink and a Marlboro Light, pack of Marlboro Lights. And oh, let me grab some donuts too. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, girl, I'm doing good. So now you're comparing yourself with the rando woman at the AMPM? Listen, I wasn't wearing <laughs> slippers. I also didn't get a pack of Marlboro Lights. It's an option for you. And the powdered donuts, I didn't think about. Okay. Just give me the 44-ouncer. I'm pretty good. I'm feeling good about myself. I'm just Listen, saying. Can I just send something out there to the universe? <laughs> this is just the way I live my life. Yeah. If you want a Diet Coke at 9 o'clock in the morning, go get one. I do. If it makes you feel better, you shouldn't feel bad about it. I don't know. I don't. It's not great for me. It's, but it makes you happy. Yeah. But what does that say about me? Who cares what it says? <laughs> I'm just saying. If I feel, you're happy, your husband's happy. And you're happy. I'm so happy when you have Diet Coke. Everyone's happy when I have Diet Coke. Diet Coke and my estrogen patch. <laughs> it's like... Don't, yes. don't even, don't I almost mess. didn't get it again. There's an issue with my insurance and I am telling you, I'm standing in the Walgreens line and she starts to say, well, we're not sure if we can refill the patch. And I'm like, I'm looking around oh. and I said, well, let me just say this for everybody here. <laughs> You got to get the patch. Trust me. Nobody wants me leaving here without the patch. Can I just say what we've said a million times on the show? Hmm? The patch isn't for me. The patch is for everyone around me. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> truth, girl. That's right. Just saying. Oh. And you know what? By a miracle, I got my patch. Of course she I did. think she took me seriously. I had that look in my eyes. She wasn't sure what was going to happen. Which is scarier than thinking... Okay. I didn't have to say anything. No, no, My no. crazy eyes it was were, a look. I was like literally looking around and almost shaking. It was mm -hmm. like I was some kind of like, oh my goodness, you better get me the patch. And give me a big diet coat. Too. <laughs> Do you have any back there in the pharmacy? <laughs> My girl, Jill Keefe, who listens to this program. Hey, Jill. Hi, Jill. Uh, always said they, they just need to think you've got one crazy eye. <laughs> I had two. Well, and my hands were you moving. doubled down. So <laughs> everyone knew to take you seriously at the Walgreens. <laughs> the people in the Walgreens were not. They kind of backed up a little bit. It wasn't them. for the COVID protection. No, it no, was no. literally six feet back. Let's just stay away from the girl Physical. who's not getting her patch. <laughs> Jeez. Anyway, introduce our guest, will you please? Think. I think that was a good segue, actually, for you, <laughs> because not because the you crazies. need the crazy. Well. <laughs> We we like crazy here, so that's why most of our guests are a little bit kind of like us, a little bit, but this is Catherine. I wanted you on here because you're somewhat of an expert. Are you? Not an expert. Okay, and tell I me. I wanted to make that real clear right from the beginning. I am not an expert. What I have is experience. Oh, that's great. It's a good distinction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What is the distinction on that? Um, I... I, I can only share with you my experience. And being an expert involves a lot of technical, medical, um, psychological uh, information that I don't have. I have experience being sober and, and my experience working the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm -hmm. 
Alcoholics Anonymous is something that everybody has heard of. Very few people, I think, understand what it is, unless they've had experience with it because they've either tried to work the program or someone suggested they work the program. Can you tell us a little bit about the program? Well, I I think that a lot of confusion um, about the program itself is, you know, in the court system, there are a lot of people that come into Alcoholics Anonymous through the court system. Mm. So example, if I get uh, if I get a DUI, like drunk driving, mm-hmm. and I go before the judge, and the judge says, six months in jail, or, I'm gonna, or you go to Alcoholics Anonymous, I mean, <laughs> they're going, I'll go to Alcoholics Anonymous, right. right? So a lot of people that come into Alcoholics Anonymous really aren't alcoholics. Mm. What are they? They're heavy drinkers, moderate drinkers, and they happen to have had something to drink. Oh, and they made and a bad they, decision. And they made a bad decision, and they drove. What What's the distinction then between a drinker or a heavy drinker and an alcoholic? So, it describes that in the big book. Okay, um, but my what I know to be true is that uh, for an alcoholic, when I ingest alcohol, it separates into different components into my system. And one of the components is called acetate. And acetate gets absorbed by a normal drinker. It, it goes into a normal drinker system and then just kind of gets processed through. Right. Well, for an alcoholic, what it does is it, it, it retains itself in the pancreas and in the liver. Okay. And creates a craving for more alcohol. So then I take another drink and then it just compounds and creates a bigger craving, a bigger craving with each drink. Okay. You can never be satisfied. You can never be, because it it keeps causing a craving for more alcohol. I've never heard someone explain it on a physical level. I I did not know that there was a physical component to that. Well, back then they called it an allergy because they really didn't know what it was. Now scientifically they know what it is. And I could read to you something if, if that would help, because I think it's really important for people to come into the program to know, to identify what their problem is. Yeah. Are they alcoholic? Are they a drug addict? Um, or are they a heavy drinker? Yeah, there's a, there's a difference. There's and the, a definite difference. You absolutely have to separate those categories. Right. What happened to you 29 years ago, almost 29 years ago, that made you say, I have to stop living this life and go to Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, there's a little bit of a, a long version. I'm going to make a short version. Whatever. So I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um, with eight brothers, mom and dad, and a stepdad. And I was raised by mom and stepdad since I was 10 months old. Um, and I could tell you that they're, they were all black sheep, call them black sheep, alcoholics, right? They were all alcoholic drug addicts. Okay. All Everybody, of them. Your mother, your every stepfather, one of them, every, every one of them. Hmm. And uh, more than half of them have died from alcoholism, heroin overdose, or some related alcohol-related death, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I left Pittsburgh when I was 20. And... I had had a son back then, you know, in, in an Italian Catholic, Scotch-Irish family, right? <laughs> I mean, it was just normal to get married young yeah. and then, you know, have children. So anyway, I had a son and <clears throat> and there came a time where there was an incident. It was really a violent incident. And I said, I, I, gotta, I have to remove my son from this. And I think he was two and I ended up, long story, driving from Pittsburgh to California to get he and I out of that situation. Was there somebody here you were... There was a... My stepdad's uh, sister lived out here. So I, I, I came out here and she was really the only person I knew with a couple cousins, her children. And, you know, I got a little apartment and I started to go to a, a, a business college at the time. And... So I was, I was 20, I am now, 
I just turned 69. Wow. You look amazing. You Thank absolutely you. Absolutely. <laughs> and he is just turned 51 years old. Aww. And he is, uh, we are both 28 years sober. So he came in 11, 11 months after me. Mm. So long story short, I ended up um, being 12 step. And that means someone who babysat my son at the time could see who was in Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon could see that I had a problem. Mm-hmm. So I was in a uh, emotionally really bad place and I was drinking really heavily. And um, she came and I, I did what we call the alcoholic anthem. And that is saying, please help me just to the universe. Mm-hmm. Please help me. Because mm-hmm. I was at that dropping off place and um she i think the next day came knocking on my door and said can we talk and she said i think you have a drinking problem and i i did not identify as an alcoholic because i didn't drink like my family right alcoholism didn't look in me like them so it must not be what it is, it, because that's all you knew. That's all I knew. But what I didn't know is the description of the allergy that I just explained to you, right? Mm-hmm. Which I, I I have a real better description of it um, that I could read to you. But so she said, okay, well, if you don't think you're alcoholic, then maybe with your f- family of origin, maybe you, you're an Al-Anon. I went, I- I'm definitely an Al-Anon. What's the difference? And, well, an Al-Anon is for friends and family okay, of alcoholics. Okay. So she said, well, let me take you to a meeting. So I went, I went to, to my first meeting and I got relief because it's the same program basically. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I made a decision. I wasn't going to drink. I wasn't going to drink for a year while I was an Alan, just to prove to me that I was an alcoholic. Well, the, the problem is we have the allergy, which is the power, we're powerless over changing mm-hmm. us chemically physically physiologically mm-hmm. i cannot drink mm-hmm. <laughs> and not have a craving mm-hmm. because that's what alcohol does in my body right or any alcoholic the problem is staying stopped and the other part of the powerlessness is the mental obsession yeah mm-hmm. and so um i was able to stay stopped for about a year and um and then i thought okay i'm not alcohol i just proved it Mm-hmm. But again, I didn't have anybody really guiding me to describe what alcoholism was. Mm-hmm. I was in Al-Anon talking about the issues I had in the family of origin. Mm-hmm. And that year that I was in Al-Anon, um, the gift, the gift I, I got from that, working that program at the time, and that was 1976, was that I was able to amend or mend the relationships with every member of my family. Okay. Mm. That's through Al-Anon, what they explain to you, here's what you can, here's what you can achieve as the child or the product of this environment. Okay. So that's helpful. That was, that's a good thing. Right. And then you went back to drinking after a year. Right. Right. But the, the, the good news is, is that I was... I mended all the relationships. That is. So I didn't have any chains between me and them. Yes. So as each of them died. Oh. You my, were. I was, I, my side of the street was clean. Oh. What did, what did those people in your family think? Did you tell them? I'm an Al-Anon. I understand what's happening here. Um, I don't know. I don't remember <clears throat> if I told them that. Yeah. As much as I said to them, what I, I started off by sending love letters to my to my mom and my stepdad. Mm. Mm. That's nice. I mean, that's really very, that's very and sweet. and it's it's really um, remarkable in that they were very violent alcoholic drug addicts. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and what I learned is that they did the best they could with what they had. Ooh, that's a tough plan. That's tough because that- you can look at that and go. Well, you may have done the best you could, but that's not good enough. It, I mean, it, in this day and age, you they they would have they would have taken all the kids out yeah. of the house. Yeah, they would have uh, they would have gone to jail for for what they, the kind of things they did. I was never sexually abused, nor was I physically abused. 
Which but, is really, in in our community, it's pretty remarkable because um, when you come from an alcoholic family, when that when we're in a blackout, we don't really remember what we do, right? And the things that we do are not, you know, morally, uh, they're just not moral. Yeah, they're not things you do otherwise, right? If you're sober and have complete right. control of yourself, you're not going to do that, right? Well, not necessarily. Oh, not necessarily. We have a saying that. Um, Oh, how does that go? Um, if you're a drunken horse thief and you're not drinking anymore, you're still a horse thief. Oh. Right? Okay. Until you do something about it to change. So it magnifies. It, the, the alcohol doesn't so much change the personality. It magnifies who you already are and not in a good way. Right. Okay. That makes right. sense. Right. That makes sense. Because we're driven you know, we're mentally really driven differently. We're driven. So the big book says and describes us as alcoholics because these guys that wrote the book, um, I mean, they worked with hundreds of people. And the very first page of the book says, Alcoholics Anonymous, the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. Mm -hmm. So they, in the beginning when they put this book together and wrote the book in 1939, um, they worked with hundreds and hundreds of, of drinkers mm -hmm. till they came up with a, you know, with a solution. 1939 is such the dark ages on so many levels. Right. These guys were pioneers in many ways. They were, I think in the 1840s, there was a group, Washingtonians, and the Washingtonians were really successful with alcoholics. But what they did is they brought in other issues that mm -hmm. convoluted the, the alcohol, alcoholics and, and, and it just, it didn't work. And mm -hmm. that's why we have the traditions for the unity of our group. We keep our, our meetings and our topics to alcoholism, yeah. you know, one alcoholic talking to another. And then after that fell apart, then the Oxford group, which is a Christian organization, they were successful somewhat with a, like a six-step program, but they didn't really, the problem with their six steps is the first step is they didn't really understand alcoholism. Oh. So it didn't work. It doesn't work. No. No. What's pretty remarkable about this program is that um, the solution for people like me was a lobotomy, psychiatric I mean, institutions, mm -hmm. um, jail, mm -hmm. and death. Yeah. Gutter drunks. Right. Mm. Yeah, and, there's no and, hope. And, and no hope. Mm -hmm. And now there's hope. Yes. Now there's hope. And what? That, that's, I mean, so I, I described to you my family of origin, right? Mm -hmm. Then I get, then I have three children. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, one of them, maybe one of them won't be. So right off the bat, 11 months into me, getting sober my oldest son's in college and he comes to he made fun of me actually for the first 11 months in college but he was drinking alcoholically mm -hmm. and he called me mom i need help and i said go to a meeting he was getting kicked out of college mm -hmm. i said go to a meeting and in his very first meeting there was the professor one of his professors <gasps> in an AA meeting someone he knew so then you know i have two other children <clears throat> another son and a daughter and you know basically the same same scenario it's like i i i because i have experience doesn't mean they need to have their own program they need to relate with their own their own group and um i go to meetings go but jane michael and janie are the two younger ones david is my oldest you know michael and janie would go to the meetings with me in corona del mar I, Michael was 11, Janie was seven or something like that. And she would sit on my lap and I would brush her hair. You know, I'd bring them with me to the meetings. And, um, but I mean, just because they came to meetings, just because I had, I grew up as an, you know, in an alcoholic family did not make me alcoholic. What makes me alcoholic is that I cannot, I have, I cannot process alcohol the way normal drinkers do. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Um, and I thought, well, maybe, maybe these other two children 
you know, might not be, but they have the same. They're alcoholic. And now I have three children that are all alcoholic, that are all sober Mm -hmm. and prospering. Yeah. Yeah. Jamie's here right now with us, actually. She's hanging out with us. Yeah. But only because, and I know this to be true, because they're working a program, they have a sponsor, um, they sponsor others. Yeah. At what point did you figure out that you actually had a metabolic condition rather than just, I drink because I like to drink and this is it? So when I go back to the original story, when I came in at 19, 20, and then I started drinking again, mm-hmm. you know, I was in Al-Anon, started drinking again. Mm-hmm. And I, I like to say, when I started drinking again, I was doing Catherine Anonymous for 20 years. <laughs> what does that mean? That means I was doing life my way. Okay. I was off and running, doing life my way, and um, with no program, mm. right? And um, were you drinking at oh, that yeah. time? Oh yeah, Catherine Anonymous drinking the Just whole drinking twenty the whole years, time. twenty years of drinking, and then um, I got to that jumping off place again. My husband, the you know who he 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 raised David, my oldest son, and then you know I had two Michael and Janie. And then he left me for this movie star, and it was in the tabloids, it was on TV, and it was just really, really devastating to my whole little family. And um, I ended up in a psych ward again. So a year before I got sober, that's when all that happened, where mm-hmm. he left. And and then, um, you know, I ended up seeing doctors and getting all different types of medications. And so I'm taking all these antidepressants and all these different medications and drinking, uh-huh. So it was like I couldn't leave the house without five real good solid vodkas. Ooh. And then I would go out and drink, drink, drink. Right. So for me to even leave the house, to be able to be among the earth, other earth walkers, to be able to look, I, I really couldn't look people in the eye, actually. Mm-hmm. And um, it took, it took, I had a drink to be out there. Yeah. Were your, what were your kids doing during this time? Um, so David was in college. And he was drinking alcoholically. And then Mike and Jane were were with me. And how old were they? He was 11. She was seven Mm -hmm. by the time I got here. Mm -hmm. And I had that jumping off point again. Mm -hmm. After a year of medications and drinking, 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 I got to that jumping off place where I really didn't want to be here anymore. Mm. And I did cry it out again, please help me. And I remember sitting on the Santa Ana Courthouse... Uh, where they have those cement tape, the cement tables and the cement benches, and going through the divorce, mm-hmm. and um, there was a guy there with two women, and he twelve stepped me. What Again, he just walked up to you and said, "He I just s- walked up to me. Are you okay?" Oh. I go, "Not really." And we talk, 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 and he said, "Well." <laughs> there's a meeting in Corona Del Mar. Blah 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 blah. I mean, we can we know. We can see. You identify. And identify yes. us yes. places. And um, and it wasn't, but um, I don't know. I don't know how much longer after that I just, I took a suggestion and went to my first meeting. Mm-hmm. Did you stop drinking? Like Well, I had what they call a spiritual experience. And for those of you that don't understand Um, that, um, all I can say to you is that I had been drinking alcoholically. Um, like I said, I couldn't even really leave the house without five drinks at least. And I've been doing that Catherine anonymous for 20 years. And Mm -hmm. then on top of it, adding medications. And I remember being at home, Michael and Janie were in bed. David, of course, was, you know, in college and I was in the kitchen starting on my second bottle of wine. And I remember standing there with a glass of wine and the bottle in the other hand. And I could see myself, I could see myself reflected in the window, Mm -hmm. the kitchen window, you know, above the sink, Mm -hmm. the picture window. And all of a sudden in my thinking, I heard, you're an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. 
I just kind of stood there and looked at myself in the window. If you continue to drink, you're going to cross an invisible line and you won't be able to stop. Hmm. That's what I heard. In, you know, in my thoughts. Yes. Mm-hmm. But there was this, it's like someone was speaking to you. It was thoughts or they were my thoughts, but they were, it was really firm mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, not loud, but it was, it was very prevalent. And I, I just stood there for, I don't know how long. And I took the glass of wine, I emptied it out and mm. emptied the bottle of wine out. Now, keep in mind, I've been drinking the same way for 20 years. Mm-hmm. It escalated in that last year. And at that very moment, the very moment, they talk about in the big book, the essentials for recovery are the how, the acronym is how, honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. Mm-hmm. And I believe I was gifted with that the ver- that very moment. I never had a, I've never had a drink since that moment. I thought, and this is just me speaking from what I've seen on social media or whatever, I didn't think you were supposed to quit alcohol cold turkey because it has such a physical effect. I agree. I would never recommend that to anybody. You go to detox, medically detox. I know a family, a a friend of a family who died in it, went to a rehab without medical detox and he died. I mean, you you definitely, but I don't know. You did it. I, I don't know. All I know is that very moment that I emptied everything out, I went to bed and had a really good night's sleep and walked to my first meeting. And I have not, I didn't have DTs. I had nothing, nothing. And I believe that a lot of people that have that moment, they call it a moment of clarity or spiritual, that moment of clarity, Mm. that that happens. Mm. And they, and because I didn't recognize it as a spiritual experience. Until months later, yeah. Until it was described to me, mm-hmm. <laughs> you had a, you had a spiritual experience. Yeah. How hard has it? How hard was it the, that first little bit to not to not drink? You're still just going through a divorce. That's the, that's the thing. That's the thing that was pretty amazing about that experience. Mm-hmm. As I didn't have cravings. What? I did. That's didn't. crazy. Yeah. But I believe people that have that moment of clarity. Yes. If they're if they have someone, a sponsor, or someone can describe that to them and let them know. So, so you know, I sponsor a lot of women, uh-huh. and over the years, have sponsored a lot of women. And I think, for me, it is really, really important to be able to to qualify, help qualify them to see if they are alcoholic or if they're drug addicts or you know whatever they are, mm-hmm. and then to let them experience that first step, that spiritual experience, meaning have them recognize that they had a spiritual experience. Because most most alcoholics that have a moment of clarity, it, it is a spiritual experience. Hmm. And does that, does it always, and probably not, you could never say always, but when you have that spiritual experience, you have that moment of clarity, do you think it's easier for people then not to have the cravings or is your experience something that's just kind of not heard of? No, that's pretty typical. Oh. But you but they people don't recognize it. Mhm. Mhm. They don't recognize it and as that, a spiritual experience. And that's why the how, the uh, honesty, openness, open-mindedness open and, and willingness comes into play. Because here I am, 20 years of Doing th- the same thing, the same way. It makes no sense. And then all of a sudden, I'm honest, meaning I- I'm admitting I'm alcoholic. You're looking at your reflection and saying, I'm I have a problem. I'm alcoholic. And I'm open-minded to doing whatever I need to do in order to You just stay poured sober, it down the sink. To stay sober. And, um, and I'm willing to do it. And you did. And the I next did. day, you went. I you went t- to a meet. Walked to my first meeting. So your how happened right then and there. Yes. So the first step is mm-hmm. admitted. I was power. Here's the book. I have to. You think after all these years, yeah. I <laughs> read it word for word. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol. Well, what are they talking about? Powerless, right? So this is the short form form of the steps. Those twelve steps that, you, that we see in meetings mm-hmm. and on page fifty nine of the big book. It's the short form. The long form begins with the doctor's opinion through page 164. That's where you get clear-cut directions how to work the steps. Mm -hmm. 
And in that first step, the powerlessness, yeah. up to this page, up to page 59, it's divided into, from the doctor's opinion to page 23, it describes the physical allergy. Mm-hmm. That they didn't really, they call it an allergy. Scientifically, they really didn't know what it was until now, right? Not now, but you know, over, over the years. Mm-hmm. And then from 23 to 43, they describe, um, it describes the mental obsession that we're powerless over staying stopped. So we're powerless over, over you know, the alcohol once we ingest it, stopping, <laughs> you know, because our body want, it craves and craves more. And then when, when we stop drinking, it's staying stopped and that's the mental obsession. And it describes it, the powerlessness in that first part of the book, mm-hmm. in the first step. And then when that dash, I think the other part that's confusing about the program is that at the time the book was written, there are a lot of words that mean different things then than they do today. Mm-hmm. And what they're talking about that our lives had become unmanageable. These steps are all about, all about changing our thinking. Mm-hmm. The unmanageability in our thinking, because from our thoughts, come our feelings, come our actions. Yeah. So it's all about, these steps are designed to change the way we think. Has there never been an, uh, you, you talk about the evolution of, of the language, which is in any language, everything changes, you know, here right. and there. Right. No one's ever updated that book? There's not a modern version, a 2023 version of the book? No. Because it is perfect just the way it is. Okay. Even with those words that you have to go, well, now I know I have a 1930s dictionary. Okay. I'm yeah. taught what the words mean in this book. Right. I'm still learning. The book, the steps meet me where I'm at. They meet me right where I'm at. Mm-hmm. The book meets me right where I'm at every time I open it up. So it's ever changing It's ever changing for me. But the words, it's important. Example, like <clears throat> the short form of the steps in step 11 says sought seeking mm-hmm. through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him. Remember the God that we, as we understand God, higher right. power, whatever you want to call. Whoever yours that's is. That's why it's not a religious program. Right. Praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry it out. Well, there's such a, a, a it's like a game of telephone. You, you ever heard of that game? Yes. Oh, yeah. All right. So meditation, I think in the 1960s when the Beatles and the Parmesia Yogananda came into play in the United States, they took that meditation. And when people read this now, they think of Buddhist meditation, um, Christian meditation, transcendental meditation. It has absolutely nothing to do with that. Right. It means to, at the time the book was written, to ponder and reflect. Mm. Ponder and reflect what you're reading. Think about it. Think about what you're reading and how it applies to you. Right. In our community, it, it has become so distorted. Oh, yeah. Meditation it take, has taken on a physical, like you have to sit quietly on a rug in a dark it, room. It Whatever. is completely, means completely opposite. It means to think, 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 think. Yeah. Think about what you're reading. Yes. So that's really been a challenge for me with, you know, all the new girls that come in is just teaching them. In the step itself mm-hmm. says, <laughs> it says, having had... A spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message, which are the steps, to alcoholics and to practice these principles in our affairs. So it's saying, I'm going to walk someone through the steps, but I am going to practice these steps myself. Mm. I cannot teach someone or expect someone, a sponsee, to do something that I'm not doing myself. Mm -hmm. And I cannot carry give advice or suggestions to someone that I haven't experienced myself. True. So I refer them to other people. I mean, we have resources, lots of resources. So if I get someone who's been, um, you know, been molested, let's say, you know, I've not been molested. Right. I've not been beaten and battered. Right. Emotionally abused. Yes. I can, I can share my experience there. Right. But there are other people that I know, other sponsees, you know, that, that they can, they can partner up with or befriend 
that relate with what they're feeling and going through. Do you still have a sponsor 28 years in? Oh yeah, same one. Same sponsor? Same sponsor, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And in between that relationship, I had I have gone to others that, like for example, she's never had children. Oh, okay. So there, are, I had a situation with one of my children that she couldn't relate with, and it was yeah. just de- it was killing me. Yeah, literally, um, in his drug alcohol drug addiction, and um, she couldn't relate with that. So, mm-hmm. um, anyway, so I went to another re- another person for that and it was a guy actually okay who who helped me through that but no she, she's still my deborah carmen i can use her full name um and she actually uh you know has a business in laguna beach where she discovered her gift when she got sober then oh. she's an artist that paints uh pets oh dog bowls ceramics and wow. things like that yeah fun um, our art and bowl, dog bowls and urns and things like that. Oh, but wow. yes, we have been, we have been, I, and I, I'm, I've not ever had a friend that long. If everybody followed the 12 step program, I think our world would be yeah, an amazing, be place. Yeah. An but amazing I, place. But, but I have to say that, I mean, I wouldn't, these are, they're simple, but it's not easy mm-hmm. because, and I'll give you an example that makes it difficult for a lot of people is that we have a dilemma. And the lack of power is our dilemma. And the dilemma that, that it refers to in this book are two unfavorable options. And those two unfavorable options are, I'm going to die an alcoholic death, and I have an issue with the God idea. Mm. Interesting. Oh, is that is that, com- is that a di- common very dilemma? Common, very common. Okay. Very common. Interesting, because there's such a spiritual bend to AA. and it's spiritual. It's spiritual, not religious. not religious. Right. So when people come in having forsaken their religion or not being exposed to any religion at all, that's a, that's another step they have to take. It's probably a difficult one. Very. But you do have to accept the spirituality of AA. Right. Oh, there's... there. And I know there are atheists. I, yeah. So there are atheists that work this program. Sure. I've had girls ask me to sponsor them that are atheists. And I say, I... I can't really, I can't, because, because I do not relate with how you work a program. How religious was your family growing up? Were you very Catholic? Very Catholic, but there was no, I, I was, you know, and I hear people in meetings say, you know, I'm a recovered Catholic or I'm a recovered whatever <laughs> religion. And yeah. I, I, I am, I'm not an advocate of that at all because religion is not bad. Yes. In my opinion, okay. it's not bad. Right. It just, I... Having a spiritual program works better for me. Right. So I don't like it because there are people in the program, some that I sponsor that are devout Catholics. Yeah. They have a religion. Yeah. And the book says, go back to your religion if you choose. Yeah. Right? Yes, as you should. So um, there's no conflict with religion in, in this program. The conflict is in the third step where it says made a decision made a decision, it's just a decision, to turn my will and my life over to the care, over to the care of God, a power greater than myself, right? Mm-hmm. Turn my thoughts and my actions is what it's saying. Mm-hmm. That's what it means. Mm-hmm. Turn my thoughts and my actions over to a power greater than me. People have a big problem with that. How do you do that? Yeah. Well, I don't want to give up my self will, myself anything. Yes. You know? Yeah, it seems like a, it's a bit of a threat. Yeah. Mm, you know? You said that you wrote love letters to your to your family. Mm-hmm. What was their response, not just at that point, but long-term to your recovery? They said, stop. <laughs> they said, stop, stop. stop we know. With- we know you love We know you love us. And for me, it was healing for me. It healed that, that chain that bound me because I hated them. Yes. Did and any took all that all that away? Did any of them get into the program? One, just one. No, sorry, two. Okay, two. Okay, siblings. Uh huh. Okay, yeah. It it says in step eight made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Right, right. And when you were going through the Al-Anon program, uh-huh. is that Same where program. that's Same that's where you learned this, and that's why you did that. Right. Is it sincere, though? Yes. For me, it was. Because it, you get to step eight, and this isn't, I'm not talking specifically about you. I'm just saying in general, you get to step eight, and I'm, I'm guessing there's some hard feelings from a lot of people 
you still have to make amends? So it's not black and white, right? It isn't. I have to look at my part in that resentment that I have with that person. You can choose to carry the resentment or you can choose to say, as you said, they did the best they could with what they had. And For, for us as alcoholics, resentments will kill us. I think that's anybody. I feel that. I'm just saying. I feel that on every level. I'm just level. saying it, yep. it, it, it's just something that, you know, a resentment means to refeel, rethink, refeel. That's what resentment means, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm refeeling, rethinking, it takes away my being able to hear direction from a power greater than me because okay. I'm self-consumed with the resentment. And I, and I often say resentments are a mask for fear. Hmm. Fear is a mask for self-reliance, which means I am not God-reliant. Right. And the third step says, made a decision to turn my will and my life, my thoughts and my actions over to the care, to the care of that power, right? right? And in the third step, it says, first, we had to quit playing God. Mm-hmm. I had to quit trying to run the world, right? Right. Okay, there's a fine line there. Mm-hmm. I mean, a very, very important fine line that I was given brains to use and skills, right? I was given a lot of gifts. The difference is with those gifts is me going out trying to tell you that that's the way you need to run your life to suit me, to make me feel better, mm-hmm. to benefit me. Mm-hmm. Or having these gifts being used in line with my higher power, being directed by the higher power to use those gifts to be of maximum use to you. With that in mind, as a mother watching children who were suffering as alcoholics, how did you approach them? I'm sane. Oh. I'm kept sane that no matter what happens, and again, I've gone through three children and a husband who have who, you know, who were alcoholics and, and, and family members dying and all kinds of life happening. And yes, I've wanted to have a drink. Mm-hmm. But I can't because I'm sane. And I don't give myself the sanity. Mm. That's a gift. Interesting. Right? Interesting. So in, re- in reference to him, if he's sane because he has a conscious contact with a power greater than him that keeps him sane, he's not going to drink. Back to your kids. How did you approach that with them? I couldn't help them. Mm. I couldn't help them. How hard is that? I couldn't. Really, really difficult. I couldn't help them. I could only be an example. Mm. But your your son called you, your oldest. Until they asked. Ask. Okay. Oh. Did the other two children? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think my my middle son, um, out of being inexperienced, because I was pretty newly sober, mm-hmm. um, I found a I found some paraphernalia in his backpack when he was in high school, and I I sent him off to CP not CPS, anyway, some type of youth shelter. And I really feel like I I could have done it differently um, and waited for him to ask for help Mm -hmm. because it took longer for him. Because it wasn't his idea? Because it wasn't his idea. Isn't there a fear, though, that this this child or this person is never going to ask for help and I just have to watch this go down in flames? Well, today, today, in this day and age with fentanyl, Mm -hmm. it is terrifying, Mm -hmm. terrifying. Mm Mm-hmm. The difference between Alcoholics Anonymous and is it Narcotics Anonymous? Mm-hmm. So, do you, which we, came from Alcoholics Anonymous, Pills Anonymous, same thing, came from Alcoholics Anonymous. Okay. Members of Alcoholics Anonymous started these groups. They did. Yeah. Okay. Do you ever get people in Alcoholics Anonymous who have drug problems? Yes. Okay. All the time. So that's especially okay. now. It's dual. You know, they're yeah. It serves both purposes yes. yeah. if needed. Yeah. But I, I typically, if I have never used meth. Mm-hmm. For, let's say yeah i've never done heroin mm-hmm. i can't share any kind of experience yeah. with them you with can't that. help them so i'd yeah. say you need to go get a, an na sponsor <laughs> yeah you know i can help you with alcohol your alcoholism yeah but i can't i can't relate with the other so so the program are mm-hmm. working the steps that's the program 
working the steps. So I go to a meeting, I'm, I'm, I'm showing up, and at a meeting, one of the steps will be talked about. No, <laughs> not necessarily. Okay. Okay, so there are different types of meetings. The mm. purpose of a meeting, it depends on what meeting you go to. Sometimes there are speaker meetings where you have a main speaker that talks about their experience, right? For the whole hour. Then there are discussion meetings, which should be, should be talking, uh, sharing about how the, this program works in their life and not dumping problems. Mm. Um, so I go to meetings that are step meetings, big book step meetings, because it's specific to the book and solution basically, right? So there are different types of meetings you can go to. There's just women meeting, there's uh, LB, you know, gay meetings, there's there's uh, men's stag meetings, there's, you know, there's different meetings, but the purpose of a meeting, the purpose of a meeting is to have a newcomer come in and us be there to help. And the way my, our little group of women is that, we walk these girls through the steps, you go get a sponsee. Because I have learned 10% of this book, sorry, 10% of this book going through the steps myself and 90 plus percent walking others through them. Mm -hmm. That's where I really learn. Yeah. I have learned and See, still continue to learn. I learn the most when I have a relationship with somebody else and I listen to them and I, I am open to what they're saying and I help them. I think, I think, so that's the purpose of a meeting is to introduce the new person to the, to the 12 steps program. That's the program. And, um, for them to identify if they're alcoholic or not. Mm. Right. Right. And then be available as a, to get a sponsor there to guide them through this. But again, going back to that, you know, working this program, the hard part is like that in that third step where it says, quit playing God, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. That's the first thing I have to do is quit playing God. Make a decision to quit playing God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. From this point on, I'm going to make a decision that he's going to be my director. I'm going to be the actor in that movie, mm -hmm. my life movie. He's going to be the principal. I'm going to be the agent where I'm, in my words and my actions, represent him. He is going to be my father, and I'm going to be the child. The hard part there for me has always been the father-child relationship because that requires trust. And how can you trust somebody you can't see, feel, or touch? Right. Until you develop a relationship. Yeah. And so the next step is the fourth step. And that is taking an inventory of yourself, listing all your resentments, listing all your fears, listing all the, the harms, and finding out who you are. Mm -hmm. And the harm you've done because of being selfish, self-centered, and the actions you've you've taken based on self while you're drinking or when you're not drinking. Mm -hmm. When you're working with someone as a sponsor, you mentioned that a lot of people don't have that spirituality or don't have a religiousness that they can sort of connect to. Right. Aside from that, what step do they get? hooked up on the most where they go it's I the can't. second step it's like the second step says it says power greater than ourselves but the second step says came to believe oh the believe is a is a tough word that that a power <laughs> greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity it doesn't mean i'm now going to believe because in the book it goes to the second step it says Again, I'm going to read this because I yeah. think it's so important. Lack of power, that was our dilemma. Remember I described the dilemma? Mm -hmm. Two unfavorable options. We had to find a power by which we could live, and it had to be a power greater than ourselves, obviously. But where and how were we to find this power? Well, that's exactly what this book is about. Mm -hmm. It's finding that. Power. Its main object is to enable you, to, find it. to give you the tools, enable, right? Yeah. To find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. Step two is a question. It says, came to believe that a power greater than themselves could restore sanity. That's the short form. Yes, right? Right, right, right. The long form is, when therefore we speak to you of God, we mean your own conception of God. 
we needed to ask ourselves but one short question. Do I now believe, and I didn't because I had no idea, Yeah. or am I even willing to believe that there is a power greater than me? And I was willing to believe that there was something bigger than me that I could stop. I could make the decision in that next step that he was going to be it. And I was willing to believe that there is a power greater than me. That's the second step. And then I came to believe through sober reference, by being sober through life problems, that there is that power Mm -hmm. and he's keeping me sane and safe. Mm -hmm. Do you think the moment in front of the kitchen sink gave you the ability to accept that a little bit easier? Again, I didn't recognize that. Mm -hmm. I was unconscious to what was happening. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Until months later, and it was brought to my attention, you had a spiritual experience. That was a moment of clarity. I, you hadn't, you didn't do think about it. I mean, think about what happened. You weren't doing anything different. Then all of a sudden, your whole life changed. Yeah. You just decided to pour your a bottle life. of wine out. Your whole life changed. Yeah. And when it talks about, you know, you, 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 when you get into this program, I can't remember the, how how. Right now, I have a mental blank with it. But we have to change everything. It's not us changing everything. And what they mean by changing everything, it's the thinking. Mm -hmm. And all the rest of these steps are all geared towards changing our thinking. I just am, I I can't get over the fact that you were so deep in your alcoholism and yet still that voice was able to punch through. That's amazing. It just speaks to the power of uh, the brain and and you know sensitivities and 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 going forward Mm -hmm. when they talk about spiritual awakening if i am turning my whole life my thoughts and my actions over to a power greater than me that i really don't have a personal relation see Mm. i i've been taught that prayer i mean they teach you to pray right from the beginning prayer is two-way yes well, you say yes, but a lot of people don't, a lot of know, people that. don't know that. No, no, no. Right. It's, it's so, a foreign concept. So, so, so it's me having, like I'm having a conversation with you. I'm speaking and you're speaking. Right. So I'm listening. Right. Right. I'm speaking. I ask questions and I listen for answers. Correct. That's two-way prayer. Yeah. That's the only way that I can get direction. Yeah. That's right. True. Yeah. And um, so it teaches us how to do that. It gives us specific instructions how to develop a relationship, a personal relationship with that power greater than me so that I could hear. Yeah. I could hear. You can hear. Mm-hmm. As long as you've been doing the program, you start your own groups. Do you start other satellite groups of AA in different places? So AA, and I have traveled the world, and AA is everywhere. Is it? Do you everywhere. go to meeting? You go to meetings everywhere, elsewhere, everywhere, mm. everywhere, all around the world, everywhere. And it's just remarkable because yeah. I can go into any meeting in any part of the world, and I could talk to you, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. They get it. They get it. Yeah, it's the program. It's the program. It's the it's if they are people that are working the steps. <laughs> yeah, they get it. Right, and they should be if they're holding an AA meeting in Scotland. It should be the same. And I will tell you in Scotland specifically, (laughs) specifically, um, you go into an AA meeting there and it's like old school. It's like back in the day. They know when, like I walk into a meeting and they know that I'm not, I'm from there. Sure. sure. I'm not necessarily until I speak (laughs) and I'm not from there. Right. But they, they're set up like they did back then that you, you have your group your AA meet group. And when someone new comes in, you go and you talk with them. And what happens is, is the newest person that's just been through the steps takes that person through the steps, sponsors them, takes them through the steps. Okay. Mm. You'll hear in meetings, people say, well, look for someone who has what you want. Well, I mean, if I were to pick somebody, in fact, I did my first, very first sponsor, I thought she had what I wanted, but I was Looney Tooney. Yeah. How would you know at that point? And I picked somebody who, after taking me through one, two, three, and we do it quickly. We go through the steps quickly, Mm -hmm. thoroughly, but quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, She relapsed on Listerine. Oh. (laughs) 
I mean, really. Oh. I was so, I so disrespected her for that. If you're going to go out, go out on. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. not Listerine. But anyway, so, so, um, and then I was introduced to, uh, I got a sober girlfriend and she introduced me to my sponsor. So I'm a firm believer of, look, I, I kind of know, we kind of know who's going to be a good fit for you. Yeah. So you arrive in Scotland at the first AA meeting you've and ever they been wa- to there. They, they, they just walk right up to you and they, they almost, you know, they're on you. They 12-step you immediately? Oh, they're right on you. They're right on you. <laughs> and sometimes you can't understand a word they're saying, <laughs> right. but they're yeah. right on you yeah. and um, to help you. Yes. You know, and so we try to do that here. It doesn't, you know, a lot of meetings aren't like that, but we try. If, if I'm trying to find a meeting, do I go online and I put yes. in me- Anonymous. near me? Yeah. And it will give you descriptions of the type of meeting. It might say... Uh, LGBTQ. Yeah. yeah. It'll okay. tell you the description, like you mentioned, that it could be a... Woman's meeting. Or yeah. a 12-step meeting. A step meeting. Speaker or meeting. Speaker yeah. meeting. It'll a tell you that. step study meeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. There's a difference between a big book step study meeting and a step study meeting. You have mm. to be really careful about that. Because Interesting. Some people, some people walk people through the steps out of the 12 and 12. I don't know if you've heard of the 12 and 12. No. Okay, well, it's just a sore spot for me because in 1939, the book was published. Three, four years after that, Dr. Bob, so it's Bill W., Bill Wilson, mm-hmm. his first sponsee, so to speak, was Dr. Bob. And um, then that's when the first 100 people came because they, you know, they they kept going to hospitals and finding more alcoholics. And um, Dr. Bob wrote a couple books that were published, but he didn't let um, Alcoholics Anonymous buy their books, his books. So he's got the little red book, he got stools and bottles. There's a number of different books between that he and Ed Webster, which is another uh, pioneer uh, in for out of the first hundred in the in 1939 40 for between 39 and 45 I think there were books that really relate closely to these steps and the information given in the big book right then 14 or 15 years later they put together a book called the 12 and 12 and it has the 12 steps and the 12 traditions but the 12 steps in the 12 and 12 were Bill Wilson's essays on the steps. Oh. Not meant, quote unquote, in a letter that he wrote to Ed Webster, not meant for practical application. Mm-hmm. There are no clear cut directions how to work the steps in that 12 and 12. Mm-hmm. But people use that to work steps and they miss the practices the gift-giving practices that these steps give. Mm. So the 12 and 12 are his essays. Right. They're more psychological, oh. psych- psychology-based mm-hmm. than they are spiritually-based, first of all. They conflict with the instructions in this book, in the big book, mm. which take away from the practices in this book. Mm-hmm. So these steps, for example, like you're saying you work them your own way. Well, I have my own story, right? But... The steps, I I work the steps exactly the way it is, the way they are. Yeah. To this day. Yeah. Basics. Yeah. The, the same basics. The steps remain the steps regardless of what experience you're bringing to them. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're married now. Yes. How long have you been married? Uh, we just celebrated twenty years. Congratulations. Thank you. It, He's from Scotland. What? Oh. By the way. <laughs> yeah. Did you meet him there? No, I met him in a meeting. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. I so love, he's an I alcoholic as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact... More well, laughter in the background. Well, there's laughter because she tortured him when we first met. But um, was, literally... Was he an alcoholic when you met him? Yes. Were you clean? Sober. He was 17 years oh, sober. Oh, he was 17 years sober. Yeah, but And you were sober as well? Yes. Then you met at a meeting. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. That's clear. Yeah. You yeah. said then. He was 17 years and then. And then he went out. Oh, he went out. He went out. I had to ask him to leave. He went to Clonopinia. What's that? That's clonopin. Is that a drug? Yes. Everyone's she's giggling. Everyone's <laughs> giggling and looking at me like you I don't know, know what clonopin is. Like clonopin is like uh, Valium, Xanax. 
alkamine. Oh, how fun. Kind of like, yeah. okay, great. Well, so it's fine if you're not an alcoholic drug addict. Sure. Yeah. How long was he out, as you say? And you're still with him at this point. He's, well, I was uh, uh, when you I kicked him out. out. He wasn't going to quit. I said, I can't. can't it's not that I kicked him out. I just said, I can't live like this. Right. I mean, I have my families die. I can't do this to me. Yeah. Can't. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of Al-Anon women who stay with their husbands, Ooh. even in their addiction. I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't do it to me. So it, how- it, 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 I just couldn't. So I asked him to leave. He left and um, he literally almost died. Oh. And uh, he got sober again, but we didn't get back together. I mean, I would I would see him and go out to dinner and things like that, but we never lived together because mm-hmm. his sister in law, um, his whole family lives in Scotland. His sister in law would come every year, twice a year, and stay with me. <laughs> yeah, you know, even when he wasn't living at my house. And um, he got sober again, and we didn't get back together. Until he was three years sober. Mm-hmm. And just, he's been sober since. He's been sober since 13 years now. Wow. That's yeah. quite a journey. That's very, it's upsetting, but also you seem almost like, well, this is part of, this is part of what happens. They, they backslide sometimes. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses and among the remainder those who stayed on with AA showed improvement other thousands came to a few AA meetings and at first decided they didn't want the program but great numbers of these about two out of three began to return as time passed so it's saying basically 50 percent of the people that walked in the door got sober stayed sober 25% 25% came in, relapsed, and stayed, came back and stayed sober. Today, so that's 75%. Yes. Today, it's not that. Not even remotely close. Not even remotely close. Hmm. I mean, I want to ask why, but I don't expect you to have an answer. I know why. Oh. Okay. Let's <laughs> why don't you that. ask here? I know why. Why? Because, why is that? Because... People, it's really difficult. First of all, people are coming in through the court system. Mm-hmm. They're not really alcoholic. Or it's forced treatment. Right. Because your, yeah. your, your other thing is well, yeah, go, go to, to jail. Meetings. Well, what they're, gonna, they're told you go to AA meetings. Well, AA meetings, that's not the program. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so that's part of, the, part of the problem. The other part of the problem is that they're using other things to as their solution other there's all kinds of other programs out there sure yeah this has been the most successful especially in my own family right right and 75 percent success rate doing it this way mm-hmm. so you're saying that people say well i don't have to do aa i can do this program and still have a little drinky drink on the side or, or whatever I'll just go to meetings i just go to meetings i'm not, not work working the program, it right yeah and and poor sponsorship Mm. You know, uh, walking people through the steps out of the 12 and 12 is no clear-cut directions how to work the steps in that. It, it's it's convoluted. It has become very convoluted, Yeah, the community. Yeah. But there are a, there are a number of groups. Like there's a back-to-basics group. There's primary pur- purpose group. There's a lot of groups that are absolutely big book uh, oriented. If you go to a meeting and you don't feel like they're your people, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Well, we're, we, we're taught right from the beginning is look for the similarities. Don't look for the differences. Mm-hmm. That's the key. And if you're desperate enough, you'll go sit in a meeting even if it's uncomfortable and you don't feel like it's you relate. And I can tell you when I first went to my very first meeting, it was like wah, 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 wah. And mm-hmm. then I heard something that I connect one thing that I connected with that brought me back the other the other problem we have is that you know a lot of recovery homes a lot of you know back in the day they were hospitalized and and um but when they come out you know it's like you go into a hospital so that you're you're cleaned up so that you come out sober so that you can work a program 
Now you go into programs or into hospitals and they send you home with Soma. They send you home with all these drugs. Makes no sense. It makes no sense. Mm -hmm. No sense. Mm -hmm. And that's another part of the problem. It's like clean is clean, sober is sober. And you got to do the work. There's no gray area. And you have to do the work and there's no gray area. But you have to be desperate to do it. And that's why Mm -hmm. I couldn't help my children. Mm -hmm. I couldn't help them. They had to help themselves. They, They had to get to the place hit their bottom where they reached out for help. Mom, I, I need help. And I sent them to Alcoholics Anonymous. But I I'll also know that there are a lot of people that go into AA that are court appointed that are not, uh, how, how do we say this? It's not the bedrock of mental health <laughs> in meetings. <laughs> there are people that are not safe in meetings. There aren't. So we know those people and we know who's safe. So we're very protective. So when I say to my children, you go to a meeting, I'm very protective of that. Thank you so much for coming on. I, it's eye-opening for us. I feel like it is a life lesson for many when you're talking about this 12-step program. I think if we'll we'll post the 12 steps up on, on our website. Short form. Yeah, the short form. Yeah, we won't. We won't do the whole big book, but we'll have a link for the big book. How about that? Yeah, that's great. You can get that easily. Um, and b- before we leave, we ask all of our guests to give us something to remember you by, a takeaway gift, a tag. Do you have something for us today? I believe that I think one of my mottos is bless them, change me. But what I try to live by is the platinum rule, not the golden rule, the platinum rule. Do unto others is they would have you do unto them. And it does not matter what anyone does. What matters is what I do. Thank you so much <laughs> Thank though, you for joining me. us. We're so glad to have you on. It's really very, very interesting. And congratulations to you. Thank you. And yeah. inspirational, honestly. It is it, it gives me it gives me hope for a lot of people. It even gives me hope for myself just in the shortcomings that I have. Not necessarily being an alcoholic, but just being a human being. We can yeah. all do better. Yeah. And that with our program, we can't change our character defects. Only the power greater than us can do that. I yeah. love that. So, so true. Very good. Thank you for joining us. Thank I'm, you. I'm Ann Police. And I'm Denise Cooper. We're Two Average Girls. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe. Give us all your accolades. Do it we all. Love it. We love it. And uh, we'll see you next time. Episodes of Two Average Girls are free wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to hit the follow or subscribe button on the Two Average Girls main page so you never have to go searching for new episodes. Our editor is Aiden Bloomstein. Our social media producer is Samantha Stone. And original music for Two Average Girls is by Jason Freese.